You guys have all heard the Christmas story before, hopefully. But uh, the, we read in the Scripture how the angels came and let the shepherds know that the Christ child had been born and it must have been quite a scare for them out in the middle of the fields. There's no electricity. There's no lights anywhere. There's no city lights, no street lights, no nothing. So they're out in the middle of nowhere in total black darkness and all of a sudden the sky is blanketed with light and these angels show up and say behold and Luke 2 says there were, there were shepherds nearby living out in the field nearby Bethlehem keeping guard over their flock at night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Listen carefully. For I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all people. Today, your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in strips of cloths and laying in a manger. Stripped of cloths was standard, so that wasn't a sign. But laying in a feeding trough, that was the sign. You'll find a baby laying in a feeding trough. And suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among people with whom He is pleased. So once they got over the shock and the fear of the, this army of angels, scaring the crud out of them while they're out in the middle of nowhere trying to just peacefully watch their sheep. And the angels say, but they have, the, they have good news, good news, great joy for all people. And, and I've always wondered what, how that hit them, like what they thought the good news was. The angels said it's good news that a Savior is born. But what's that mean to them? I mean, they're shepherds. They live out in the, you know, fields, they take care of their sheep, and it comes time to shear the sheep, they do that and they sell the wool. I'm sure they they produce milk and other stuff. If they you know they make that's their living. They make that's their job. They're sheep herders and they do that for their work. So what was the good news for them? What would be good news for you? I mean you're pretend you're working at your job, whatever it is you do. You're at the office, you're at the factory, you're out on the road, whatever it is, and angels show up with you. <laughs> And they say, good news! I've got great joy for everybody. I mean, what would be good enough news for you to, to shake up your world? I mean, what, what would be good enough news for you to, to be willing to just quit your job and walk away excited about whatever this news was? What would it be? What would it be enough good in there? I mean, what would be good news to you? What did it mean to the shepherds? I mean, it's a baby. There's a baby born. A, a baby in humble beginnings. A baby laying in a feeding trough for animals because there's no room for them where the people are. So, so what's the good news? It's a Savior, but what's that mean? He's Savior from what? I mean, a Savior saves something. What's the Savior saving us from? What's He saving us for? A lot of people, because the prophecies talked about the Messiah as a, a king, as a ruler, as a reign. So a lot of people thought when the Messiah comes, He's going to be a political savior. He's going to save us from government oppression. And that worked pretty well for the Jews because they were under the Roman oppression. The Romans had come in. They'd conquered the land. So all the Israelites were under the thumb of the Roman government. So they paid all their taxes to Rome and they had to submit to Roman rule and Roman authority and Roman soldiers. 
and uh, Roman tax collection, and, and they were hoping that the Messiah would come and get rid of Rome and put them back in independence and let them run their own affairs. And, and they were thinking when the Messiah comes, he's going to be a military leader. He's going to get us out of this political oppression. and that's gonna, So it's going to be a political savior. Someone to save us governmentally. About six years ago, that kind of happened in our own government. The people, a lot of people thought that the, the would-be president was going to be the savior of the nation. That he's going to come in and, and he's going to you know, go to D.C. and solve all the problems that Washington, D.C. always has and save the planet and make everything better. And then what happened? He turned out to be another run-of-the-mill Washington, D.C. politician, just like all of them. And, and, and you know, like everybody, they say one thing and they do another. So it, nothing got saved. And that's what happened with Jesus. People thought that Jesus or the Messiah, they didn't believe it was Jesus because he wasn't a political Messiah, but they thought the Messiah was going to come in and he's going to be a political savior and he's going to go into the capital, maybe he's go to Rome or maybe just take over Jerusalem or whatever, and he's going to turn the world upside down politically. But that's not what Jesus did. I mean, in our position, it would be kind of like, say, North Korea or the Taliban or somebody who's not a friend of America comes in militarily and conquers us defeats our military, wipes them out, forces us to surrender, and now we live under the rule of some foreign government. Someone who doesn't really like us very much. And so now all our tax money goes to this foreign government. We have to submit to their authority. We have to obey their laws. We have to do what they want us to do. Our constitution is null and void because it no longer counts. And that's what the Jews were doing. They were under Roman oppression. And so here comes this Messiah and a lot of Jews thought, well, the Messiah is king. He's the ruler. He's going to save us from that all. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't come to be a political leader. One day, He promises that He will return and He will be the king and the ruler and He will make the entire world submit to His authority. I mean, some of people will do it voluntarily, obviously, those of us who believe, but everybody who refuses to submit is basically going to be dealt with. And, and that's going to happen when Jesus returns, but that wasn't His intent the first time around. So what is the good news of this little baby? If He's not going to save us politically or militarily or whatever. What is the point of this Savior? Isaiah 53, it's, um, I think of it as the Gospel of the Old Testament because it's so much prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus came that points directly towards Jesus and how He would be born and what He would do. And this is the description of Jesus in Isaiah 53. It starts off says, who would have believed what we just heard? When was the Lord's power revealed through Him? They're talking about the coming Messiah. He sprouted up like a twig before God. Like a root out of parched soil. He had no stately form, no majesty that might catch our attention, no special appearance that we should want to follow Him. It says the Messiah was going to be an average Joe. A nobody. Nothing special about Him. He doesn't look special. He doesn't have any majesty. There's no glory about it. He's just a guy. In verse 3 it says, He was despised and rejected by people. One who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness. People hid their faces from Him. He was despised and we considered Him insignificant. But He lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain. Even though we thought that He was being punished and attacked by God and afflicted for something He had done, He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well because of His wounds. We have been healed. 
All of us have wandered off like sheep. Each of us has strayed off on his own path. But the Lord caused the sin of us all to attack Him. He was treated harshly and afflicted, but He didn't even open His mouth. Like a lamb led to slaughter, like a sheep silent before the shearers, He did not even open His mouth. So Jesus, who everybody thought was going to be this political ruler, turned out to be a nobody. Just a guy from nowhere. Born in the most humble, meager situation you could think of. Grew up in nothing special. Just somebody who lived in a small town. And then he was afflicted. And people rejected him. People still reject him. Because they don't believe in him. There were a lot of people who did believe in him. Who did trust in him. Who did follow with him. It doesn't sound like much good news for Jesus. I mean, the angel said this is good news, but here comes a guy who would grow up in meager, humble situation and he would go on to be rejected, to be despised, to be murdered because of what he taught. There were people, though, who Jesus would come into their path and they thought that Jesus was such good news that they were willing to leave everything behind and follow after Him. I mean, good, good enough news to quit your job and to go do whatever this guy is asking. Remember J- Peter and James and John? They, they had, Jesus took them out fishing and they had been out fishing all night and didn't catch anything. He took them out and Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side. They're like, yeah. Like the fish are going to be on one side of the boat and not the other. But we'll do it because you said so and we just want to get rid of you. So they threw the nets over, filled with fish, The nets were ripping. The boats were almost sinking. They were so full of fish. They were just shocked at what had happened. And they got back to shore and they were just blown away. And Jesus said, follow me. And they dropped it all. They just had this huge haul of money that they could have sold this fish for. I mean, they left their boats. They left their nets. They left their fish. They left it all behind and they followed after Jesus. Something about this man was such good news to their lives. They're like, I don't need anything else but You, Lord. I'm going to follow after You. And then there's a kind of a similar story with the tax collector. The government worker who made a killing collecting taxes. Levi. And Jesus said, follow after Me. And it says He got up and He left it all behind. His table full of money, full of taxes, He got up and just walked away and followed after Jesus. Something about Jesus was this nobody from nowhere with nothing special about him, no special authority. No, I mean, just the man, apparently, the way he's described, and he said, follow after me. And something about Jesus stood out to these men. Such good news about Jesus that they dropped it all and they followed after Him. So what is it about Him? What is so great about this baby? If He didn't come to save us from an oppressive government, He didn't come to save us from financial problems because people left their finances behind to go follow after Jesus, what did He come for? Did He come just to take us to heaven? I mean, heaven might come someday when we're dead, but we don't have heaven right now, so what's, what now? What's Jesus about? Well, the Bible says, obviously, that Jesus came to save us from sin and death. A lot of people, that just doesn't really register because we're so used to Wanting comfort and joy in our lives. I mean, we do everything to, to add more comfort to us. We, we shop 
for clothes we like and we turn up the heat in our house and we eat food that tastes good and that's what we want. We, we don't think about sin so much. We just do what we feel like. And, and Jesus came to save us from a sin-filled lifestyle, a lifestyle of, of, of self-destructive practices, lying and cheating and stealing and, and not honoring the Lord, not believing in Him. It, it, Hebrews 12 starts off like this, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set before us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out for Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken His seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus saw something beyond the cross. I mean, the cross is terrible. I've described it before. Terrible painful, torturous way to death. The word excruciating comes, it means out of the cross. Because the cross was such a torturous kind of way to die. And Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says, for the joy set before Him. He was joyful about going to the cross. These disciples were joyful about following this man who had nothing, worldly speaking. There's something behind what Jesus is doing. Something in this good news that has nothing to do with worldly politics. Doesn't have to do with money. Doesn't have to do with houses or cars or clothes or your job. But there's a joy that's behind something. That's a hidden joy that that means enough for people to transform their lives, to follow after this guy, to leave it all behind, and to say whatever it is that you want, Jesus, That's what we want. I mean, a lot of us when we pray, we pray for ease. We pray for comfort. We pray for God, heal my sicknesses and my injuries and my pains. Take away all my suffering. Help me not to have to deal with problems. I mean, that's not bad. You know, I like to pray for protection and and providence from God and watch over my family and my house and all that kind of stuff. But imagine if you were praying for, you know, God... I just want to sit around and eat candy bars and pizza and not ever have to go to work and not ever be challenged and not ever have any sort of conflicts. And Lord, I just want comfort in my life. And that's all I want. I don't ever want to have any sort of problems whatsoever. So just make everything perfect. But what would wind up to you? You'd wind up fat, unhealthy. You'd be Stupid. You'd I mean, never have any mental challenges. You'd never have anything that would make you grow. You'd never have anything that would make you develop as a person. You'd never have anything that would make you strong. I mean, when you exercise, and all of us have done some sort of exercise, you have to break down muscle to make it stronger. I mean, exercise is painful. Exercise is not comfortable. But you have to exercise if you want to get stronger. You cannot get stronger just sitting around. You cannot improve your mind watching TV all day. I mean, you really have to, if you want to get smarter, you have to study. You have to learn. You have to, you have to discipline yourself to read. and to. I mean, most of us go to school. But you have to, even if you go to school, you have to choose whether you're going to read, whether you're going to do your homework, whether you're going to look into what it is that you're supposed to be learning. If we just get sunshine and rainbows our whole life, we don't develop. James starts off like this. James, it's a, the James 1.1 says, James, he introduces himself, a bond servant of God 
and of the Lord Jesus to the twelve tribes who are dispersed around greetings. Um, when it says James, a bond service, not James Bond. James is the little brother of Jesus. The half-brother, because he's from Joseph and Mary. And Jesus is the Holy Spirit and Mary. But, but James was Jesus' little brother. He doesn't say, hey, I'm Jesus' brother. So you guys need to pay me due respect for who I am. No, he says, I'm just a servant, just like the rest of you. I'm a slave of God and a slave of Christ the Lord, of Jesus Christ. He said, my brother turned out to me the Messiah, surprised us all, surprised me and all my siblings, and, but found out the truth, and now I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Something about Jesus gave his brother enough joy to say, this guy truly is the, the Messiah. I'm going to follow. I'm going to be a, his servant. I want to follow him. And so he says in verse 2, he says, my brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and the let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete. Not deficient in anything, but if anyone is deficient in wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without reprimand and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea blown and tossed around by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord since he is double-minded. A double-minded individual unstable in all his ways. So James was pointing out, well first he makes this weird thing that we should count it all joy when we face trials and tribulations and persecutions and sicknesses and, and money problems and relationship problems and challenges and conflicts. And James says, count it all joy. Just like Jesus counted going to the cross. Joy. So what is this joy that the angels pronounced? Joy to all, good news to all people. What is it? Well, James points out that your faith, just like your body, just like your mind, like you grow a muscle, it, it takes, it grows through discipline. It grows through suffering. It grows through challenge. You're strengthened when you go through trials and tribulations. So count it joy when you do discipline, when you have adversity, when you have pain. You can anticipate that kind of stuff. You know it's coming. We all have the ups and downs. We know that those bad times are coming. So when we can anticipate it, we can anticipate it in joy knowing that God will not let any of it go to waste. If we belong to God, He causes it all to work together for the good of those who love Him. So we can count joy when we face that trouble because the resistance that the Holy Spirit puts us through as we train through that stuff makes us stronger. If we really believe that, we wouldn't be constantly praying for God to make everything easy. To just give us everything on a silver platter and make life easy. We'd be praying, God, whatever the heck You want, I'm in for it. I'll leave it all behind. I'll drop my nets. I'll leave my taxes. Whatever it is that You want me to do, I am there. You say the Word and I am following You, God, because I know that there is joy to be had. There is something deeper in life than food and drinking and eating and going to work and watching TV and playing on the Internet. There is so much more to life than just that day-to-day humdrum stuff that doesn't produce joy. might give you some fun might give you some laughter temporarily, but it's not the joy that the Bible's talking about. There is something... I mean, you wouldn't leave your job for that kind of stuff. You wouldn't quit your, your life practices for that kind of stuff. Because that, that is a lot of people's life practices. 
There's something deeper that people were willing to give it all up for. And that's what this good news is. So when we see problems on the horizon, or if we're going through problems right now, we can say, God, I trust You no matter what. Because I know that You've got good plans for me. I know that You've got plans for a future and a hope. And I can't wait to see how You're going to use this mess, this trouble, this pain, this suffering to make me the person that You want me to be. And to use me to help other people become the people that You want them to be. To bless us and fill us with joy that we can't really describe because you have to live it to really get it. I'm convinced God wants to prove to you that He is strong and mighty through whatever it is you're facing. God wants us to be strong. He wants us to be wise. He wants, I mean, He says, just ask for wisdom and I'll give it to you. He wants you to have this ability. He wants you to have a strength of character that no matter what hits, you are a bulwark of faith. You are a, a, on a rock, immovable. Maybe you've seen that picture of the big huge waves crashing up against the lighthouse. You are that lighthouse. And it doesn't matter how strong the sea billows against you, you are unmovable because of the foundation of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we're just tossed by the wind. But with Jesus, we are immovable because of His power, because of His glory. And God wants that for all of our lives. No matter what trials hit, no matter what troubles we go through, no matter what sufferings we face, sickness, pain, sorrow, I mean all that stuff is caused by sin. And there's sin in this world, and so we know it's going to come. But we know that if we trust in Jesus, we can see the light. We can reflect the light as we're going through that. And the world can see Jesus Christ in our suffering. Disciples were called disciples because they were disciplined. They learn the discipline. We need some disciplines in our lives. I mean, there's some very important things that every Christian ought to be doing. You ought to be studying the Word. You ought to know God's Word so you know His voice. You ought to be praising the Lord through everything. Praising the Lord in the good times, praising the Lord in the bad times because He's the one that uses us all, uses it all to build our character and to build our strength. You ought to be praying non-stop. You ought to be praying every moment you think of it. Every moment you have anything that you think of. You ought to be lifting it to God. You ought to be worshiping. Our lives are meant to be worshiping God, to be a reflection of His glory so that everything we do, no matter where we're work, we're eating, we're drinking, whatever we're doing ought to be done to the glory of God. Ought to be worshiping the Lord. And we ought to be filled with joy. If you're not filled with joy, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, if you don't sense my excitement, Come talk to me because you're missing something. I mean, if you've, especially if, you've been, if you're not a Christian, I understand why you don't have joy. But if you're a Christian and you come to church and you're missing out on this joy, you're doing it wrong. You're missing something. I'd be glad that it's the difference. There's probably a lot of armchair quarterbacks in here who watch a football game and say they should have done this, they should have done that. And What's the difference between you and the player on the field? I mean, you see the players, they, they move the ball two yards and they're going crazy and they're high-fiving and, and bumping heads and they're just so excited. We got it two yards. It doesn't seem like any big deal, but if you're somebody and that's what you train for all your life and you're pumping iron and you're eating what you need to eat and you're doing everything, you practice hours and hours every day to shape your body into a, a warrior's body to move a ball two yards seems insignificant. But the idea is 
they're on the field and they feel the excitement and they feel the, the, the desire for what they want to do. That's what a Christian is supposed to be. We're supposed to be in the field training ourselves, getting ourselves in shape to go out, not to move a ball, but to save lives. And when we get two yards closer to saving somebody's life, we feel the, the excitement and the exuberance and the Holy Spirit moving. There's joy in that. And if you don't know that, you're missing something. We're supposed to be in the field working for God to change this world. And that's what the angels were talking about. That's what the angels were singing about. That's what the shepherds went to see this baby. That's what the guys who left their jobs and walked away to follow Jesus, that's why they left it all behind. Because there's something deeper and more meaningful and more exciting and more joyful than all the other stuff that we do. Than anything that you can do but working for Jesus, saving lives, having your life transformed, and then going out and telling other people the good news that your life can be, everybody who believes your life can be transformed too. There's a joy in the accomplishment of working for the Lord. So I have some suggestions for you this Christmas. I don't know what you put on your Christmas wish list for Christmas, but I think you should ask for courage to go out and take on the challenge of living in the field as a Christian discipline. It's not fun. It's not comfortable all the time, but it produces character and strength. Strength of mind, strength of will, strength of who you are. And, and so ask for discipline, for better discipline. To, to live your life the way you're called to live. To shape your life into who you're called to be. Honor. Live as an honorable person. Let the world see someone who stands upright. Let the world see an honest person. Someone of integrity. Ask for integrity. Someone who, who is that the rest of the world can see your business dealings and see how you live your life and they say, that is an upright person. And I honor that. Ask for strength. To be strong. To, for God to go ahead and use the things that we're going through to make you the person He wants you to be. Ask for strength of character. Strength of mind. Strength of spirit. Strength of faith. Ask for that for your Christmas list. If you really have Jesus, your life is going to be crazy. I mean, it's going to be a wild ride. But it's going to be full of joy. We all have the ups and downs. Jesus promises us trouble. He says, in this world you will have trouble. But stick with Me because you're going to have hope. I have overcome the world. The world doesn't have anything against Me. And if you stick with Me, the world's not going to have anything that can hold up against you. If your life is not being challenged right now, then it's possible that you don't really have any trust in the Lord. So ask Him to challenge you and see how He uses it. And let your life be filled with joy because of it. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We're so grateful for You. We're, we're grateful for the, the music that we got to enjoy today. We're grateful that You came to this world more importantly, most importantly, that You came to this world to change our lives, to get us out of the just being alive and to help us to live, to truly live, that You came to give us life and give it in abundance. God, Help us to see that. Help us to know that. Help us to realize exactly what it is that You want for us. Help us to live out that joy that You... It's, it's hard to imagine that You could have joy going to the cross, but there is something in there. And I pray that You'd help us all to understand that, understand that just a little bit more this Christmas season and to help us to become the people that You want us to be. Thank You, Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen.